You are tuning in to Mind Over Your Biz podcast. Today's episode features Ms. Erica Rivera as we talk about how to create mental wealth during challenging times. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Mind Over Your Biz podcast, where we go beyond the numbers and focus on people. Whether you are a solopreneur, small business owner, or someone who is looking to achieve your personal and professional goals, this podcast is for you. Each episode will provide you with strategies to help maximize your potential and shift your mindset. I'm Dr. Maria, business coach, neuroscientist, and your host of Mind Over Your Biz podcast. everyone. Welcome back to MYOB podcast and thank you for listening. I'm Dr. Maria and I help transform people and businesses from the inside out. Today we're going to talk about mental wealth and this idea of mental wealth came to me after working with people and businesses for over 20 years. What I found is that we often talk about money, financial stability, how to improve the bottom line and become more profitable. And we really don't talk about mental wealth, particularly with regards to mental wealth in our professional life, as well as within our business. So what do I mean by mental wealth? When we talk or when I talk about mental wealth, I'm really talking about our ability to tap into our thoughts, our feelings, and emotions in order to be able to reframe them and readjust so we can face those challenges and overcome those obstacles and work towards our full potential. So for me, while financial wealth is very important, I believe that mental wealth is as important or even more important than financial wealth. Because in my mind, when we do not have mental wealth, then we are not able to work, perform to our full potential. And at the end of the day, that's going to affect within a business, it's going to affect our bottom line. So for this episode, I felt it was very important to bring in a guest speaker that can speak to mental wealth and can speak to the challenges that she faced, uh, both in her personal life, as well as as an entrepreneur, uh, to really understand mental wealth and how we can leverage our mind to overcome those challenges. I'm very excited to have Erica Rivera in this episode and to share her story of her challenges. So I want to welcome my friend, my colleague, and someone who really inspires me to do better every day, Miss Erica Rivera. Okay, well, thank you so much for having me. And um, it, it makes it like warms my heart to hear that I'm an inspiration to you because I feel like you're an inspiration to me. <laughs> but um so I'm Erica Rivera and I am an educator on sexual assault prevention and recovery, 
healthy intimacy and adolescent safety. So I've been in this field for roughly 12, 12 years, a little, maybe a little bit more than that. And I've been in Flagler County um, since 2003. So I actually finished high school here locally and immediately out of high school was pretty much forced to, to grow up very quickly and be independent. Um, I don't know if I should just go into my story right away, but that is what I do. And that is my role here in our community is, is helping people through sexual assault, um, recovery and, you know, trying to get that prevention piece in there right now. So how did you end up in that field? It's such a specialty field, sex, health, and education. And it is one of those topics that often is not talked about or addressed, but so very important to talk about. And how did it all start for you? Uh, when, when did you realize that this is the direction that you want your, your professional life to go in? Yeah. So, um, it's a pretty lengthy, I'm going to try to make it short because there are, there are some steps that brought me to this career, but right out of high school, um, I was a homeless teen and I had to find a way to kind of rebuild my life. I was someone that was college bound and wanted to get a career in the medical field. And unfortunately, unfortunately, and fortunately, um, I was dealt with some different cards. Now being homeless, I kind of just did what I had to do to work my way up to be independent. So, you know, getting a job, getting a vehicle, saving my money. Um, that was a very long couple years and, I had gone through a trauma at that time, a sexual assault trauma while I was homeless. And I didn't really have the resources. I wasn't equipped with the resources to deal with that trauma at the time. And so I always felt like that was something that was missing in our community. I thought for sure, if I had been going through that, that maybe there were other teenagers or other young adults going through the same thing. So once I was on my feet, I was working at a local golf, golf resort and ended up getting laid off from that job and found myself in a position where I had to make quick money. And a friend of mine asked me if I had thought about being in a sex, sexual health or sex related career field. Being that I grew up in a very religious household, my first thought was no way I would never even talk about that. But it was indoctrinated in my mind that we just couldn't talk about that word like just the word sex was intimidating for me. So I'm like, yeah, no, I, I could never get into that field. And my friend just kind of kept talking to me. She kept kind of buzzing in my ear and, and she's like, you know, you have a story. People would listen to it. There's got to be some way that you can monetize on it. And the only way at the time that I could think about monetizing on it was becoming a direct sales rep for a uh, intimacy product company. So I did that for quite some time and I didn't want to just be in direct sales though. I knew that I was destined to do more. I wanted to educate. I wanted to be an advocate for other trauma survivors. So I did everything I could to research the ways to do that. And that's how I ended up getting educated in sexual, sexual health. Um, I would go to 
bunch of conferences. I'd go to workshops. You know, I didn't have the money to go and get a four-year degree, but there were other avenues to get the education and the certifications that I needed to be in the position that I am today. Um, and then my most recent um, certification, which was in 2021, not too long ago, um, I got certified through DCF as a victim's advocate, both for domestic violence and sexual assault. And that's how the advocacy piece plays in plays into what I do today. So there's so much to that story that is so impactful and so much information that I really want to dissect it. I know that when I first met you and you mentioned that you were homeless at one point in your life as a teen for a couple of years, I kind of didn't hear anything after that. Um, I was struck back by your experience. And what I thought to myself at that time was, so I, this beautiful young lady in front of me, young woman in front of me, and I, I know our listeners cannot see you, but my thought was, you know, how did this beautiful, young, professional, uh, successful woman in front of me go from being homeless as a teen to being the person that she is today? So, you know, obviously, like, the way I talk about it is so matter of factly. So I, I understand being stuck there because I just kind of gloss over it. And I'm like, yeah, and then I just became who I am. And people are like, wait a second. <laughs> so it's common. Um, my experience with homelessness, I mean, it was, uh, it was very difficult. Like sometimes I when I talk about it and I look back, it's almost like, it, it almost feels like a dream. Like, did I act like, wow, did I actually go through that? Um, but it, it was very real. Um, I grew up in a pretty strict household and I had straight A's the majority of my life. And I was college bound, like I said. Um, but you know, there were still, just because I was good in school, doesn't mean everything was good at home, you know, and I'm sure a lot of people can can relate to that. Uh, my parents had very strict rules and my brother, you know, I have a younger brother. We were both uh, raised that, you know, you follow the rules or there was tough love that followed. So in this particular case, um, my parents had kicked me out uh, shortly after my high school graduation for being late, uh, like past my curfew. I got home past my curfew. And considering that I wasn't 18 yet, they were very, you know, very hard on me on the rules because I technically wasn't an adult, even though I had already graduated. So I walked from one side of town to the, to the other that same night. Um, that was scary because I, it's not like I had friends with me or anything. I, and this was early 2000s. So I didn't have, I couldn't just pull out my cell phone and call anyone. I didn't have a cell phone. I didn't have a license. I didn't have anything other than the clothes on my back. So I walked from one side of town to the other and found a Sears, a local uh, Sears department store. And I slept on the ramp that was behind that Sears. And there's no way that night I would have thought that that was the beginning of like my new life. I, you know, at the time I thought like, this will, this is, you know, my parents will get over being angry and, and hopefully tomorrow I can return home. But that wasn't the case. That was the start of like a two year, like homeless situation. So 
I, from day to day, like I would just walk around town. Um, I, you know, I would walk to the gas station. Uh, if I found change, I would use that change to buy like dry ramen noodles and, and eat the, eat dry ramen. Um, I remember specifically there was one night that I had gotten kind of chilly. So I bought socks using some change I had found. And that's the thing, change I was finding because I didn't have a job yet. Um, and I say yet because one of the things I did on a day-to-day basis was walk to different establishments to try to get a job. Um, I had just gotten out of high school. I wanted to be in the medical field. So I didn't have experience other than having worked at McDonald's when I was 16. But I eventually did get a job bussing tables at a local uh, restaurant. And so I would walk to work every day and bus tables. And with my first paycheck, which was literally probably only like $400, I bought a car. I bought a really beat up Ford. It was powder blue Ford Tempo with $400. And so that was kind of like goal number one. So somehow, I don't, I don't know how, but somehow as a 17 year old kid, I had these like short term goals that I would crush, you know, one by one. And that was first for me was getting a job, um, getting a vehicle, because that would be the next, you know, next safest place to be in, you know, not having a permanent place to stay. And, um, you know, I would also kind of jump from home to home. So eventually, you know, our town is not that big. Eventually I did run into people that I had graduated with. I ran into this one guy that I graduated with, had to tell him my situation. You know, he would take me in for a night. Then he'd pass me on to a friend for another night. Um, You know, at 17, we're not telling our parents, Hey, this girl's homeless. We just kind of pretended like I was staying for the night. And then I'd go on to the next person or the next friend Um, there were some nights that I didn't have somewhere to stay. So I'd either stay at my car or I'd stay, you know, behind Sears. Um, you know, and obviously this is a, it's a dangerous situation to be in at that age. I had, I remember too, I had gone to Walmart to shop for, you know, a couple things with one of my paychecks and walking out of Walmart, this guy pulled me into his vehicle and he ended up raping me. And that's how I lost my virginity because all this time up until being homeless, I had, you know, I was trying to save myself for, for marriage. So I went through that situation and that was, that was just a whole nother thing in itself that, that gave me a new perspective to being homeless. I think you can say that's when I kind of stopped being naive and I started to get really tough Um, anyone that I ran into, like I carried a knife. I always, I I was almost, you know, I was very overprotective of myself after that experience. And I was not a nice person. I didn't like to be around people. Um, you know, it was just kind of survivor mode all the time after that. There is so much value to that side of your story. You had mentioned that you've always had those you were always an, a goal-oriented individual. So even as a teen, you you were college-bound. You you looked 
towards achieving certain things in your life. So you approach this kind of like in the same manner, you know, so here's what I need to do. I need to do this task. This is task one. This is task, task two, task three. And once I achieve these tasks, then I can get out of homelessness. And when I hear that, it, it brings to mind the, the idea or that strategy that there are times in our life uh, as well as, as in our uh, professional life and, and in business, that we really have to set aside our emotions to be able to make those really hard decisions and focus on the goals. And it's, it's not about not making decisions with, without a heart or without empathy, but really trying to step back and not react to the emotion in order to be able to accomplish the goals that are in front of us. With that said, how did you uh, get away from that list or just doing that list of things that you needed to do to get out of homelessness to really looking at the emotional component and looking at your emotions that come with uh, being homeless? You know, so I didn't always deal with things positive in a positive manner. So, you know, I had a boyfriend that cheated on me. I went through a couple domestic violence situations. You know, I, I kind of pursued just the wrong, wrong crowd and the wrong people. I mean, kind of hard to find otherwise when you're homeless. But, you know, so I was doing the best I could as far as like, okay, I have to be stable. I have to get out of this. I, you know, I need a car. I need a place. I need an apartment. I need all these things. How do I get them? But behind the scenes, I was still kind of dealing with the emotional aspect negatively. And I would say when that kind of shifted was during the second year, um, because I was only I was homeless, I say I was only homeless, but I was homeless for about two years. Um, I did join the military in hopes that that would be a good strategy um, out of homelessness and back into school. But that didn't work out either. So I ended up going to Chicago for um, basic training, and ended up coming right back. with a medical, um, uh, a medical discharge. So I ended up having a bowel obstruction that was anxiety induced. Check that out. <laughs> so, um, while I was in the military was also when I found out that I had an STI from the gentleman that raped me. So that was a whole situation itself. And I thought this is it, you know, they had awarded me a $50,000, um, uh, college fund in addition to what I was already getting with the, with the military, and I for sure thought that that was my exit. And then I had to come back and I came back a homeless veteran. Um, I did, you know, write my parents in hopes that they would take me back once I came back from Chicago and they did not. So I was back to square one. And I think when things started to shift was when I got a job at the golf resort um, here locally. Uh, I was making really good money there. I ended up with a two bedroom apartment. I bought two cars, um, no longer had the tempo, everything cash. I learned how to save it during my homelessness. I didn't have, I didn't do credit cards or anything like that. So I just learned how to save my money and ended up doing that. And then I found dance. So through working at the golf resort, there was a member there who always came in to play golf 
and his wife taught belly dancing. And I was still fairly young at the time. I think I was 19. Yeah, because we were two years in. And I had just gotten back from the military. Again, only went to boot camp and came right back. So I was I was probably 20, actually. I was probably in my 20s. But either way, it was shortly after all that. And, you know, he told me, he's like, you should try my wife's class. And I'm like, oh, yeah, sure. You know, and I always growing up, even though I was all like, okay, medical field, I want to be a doctor. You know, as a kid, I took ballet. And growing up, I always wanted to be in the arts somehow. I played flute in the marching band. I played flute in our concert band, you know, so there was an artistic ability there. I just hadn't nourished it. So I thought, okay, well, there are no adult ballet classes in this area. So maybe belly dancing. Why not? I want to be involved in something. I had no hobbies at the time. So I took a class and I fell in love with it. And that is how I started to deal with the emotional aspect of everything I had gone through in those two years. Um, I didn't realize that I could utilize a hobby like that to to cope. You know, I thought that by having boyfriends and seeking love in other, you know, in other people and, and you know, seeking validation from those guys that I dated, you know, I thought that was the way to cope with with my emotions um, but no, belly dancing, that, that has been a lifesaver. Talking about dancing and the arts just brings another thought to my mind that it, it's so essential to incorporate not only hobbies, but the arts into our everyday life. And, um, that's one area, for example, that is being cut in the school systems across the country, which, or across the United States, which, um, it's, it's, it's not a good thing because, uh, dancing, music, art, all the different arts, drama, uh, these are all forms of expression, which really helps us uh, with coping and when we're going with any when we're going through any kind of stress this definitely is an avenue for many of us to be able to release that stress and even in business uh, with regards to employees and the stress that employees and managers and leaders go through we we have to be aware or at least understand that we uh, can incorporate different strategies in the workplace that can help reduce stress for the for leaders for managers for the staff and it's really understanding the stress that people are going through uh, and then being able to look at what is available out there that can help the individual or the team uh, be uh, be able to deal with the stressors that goes along with life, uh, professional life, uh, business, uh, entrepreneurship. So I'm I'm very glad that you uh, brought brought in how you coped with your experience, uh, how you use belly dancing uh, and it being a lifesaver in your story. And sometimes it wasn't just the dance, but like the people I was meeting through it, because obviously being homeless, I, I, I didn't meet the best people when I was living on the street. And 
you know, once I started belly dancing, you know, I met all these other women and, and all these other people and, you know, great influences in my life. Like when you meet other artistic or other creative people, it was just like the camaraderie. I needed that because I didn't have family. You know, I, I didn't feel like I had a sense of family. I didn't feel like I had any type of quote unquote tribe, like people say, you know, I always kind of felt like a lone wolf and belly dancing kind of brought all that together for me. So going from homelessness and everything that has to do with homelessness, I mean, you were a teen, you were thrown out of your uh, parents' house, you were raped uh, as a teen or as a young adult, and you found belly dancing. So you were able to sort of, again, make this list uh, that you needed to go through in order to be able to get out of homelessness and then find the resources available to you, such as belly dancing, to be able to start thinking about what it is that you want to do with your future. So how did you make that shift uh, from taking all these resources and now thinking, okay, I am ready to uh, start thinking about what am I going to do as a career? How am I going to achieve uh, the career or the life that I envisioned for myself? I ended up getting laid off at the resort and I wasn't, can't say I I was upset, but I wasn't that upset about it. I'm like, this is my chance to be whoever it is that I want to be. But on a, you know, anxious level, a part of me was still very, very much afraid of homelessness again. So I was like, oh, you know, so I was like freaking out because I don't want to be homeless again. But also I saw it as an opportunity, um, especially since I wasn't treated very, very good at that job anyway. So I definitely wanted to be independent. And out of fear from for being homeless again, um, I'll be very transparent. I became a stripper for like three months at a strip club, not local. Obviously we don't have a local strip club, but I would travel. And at that strip club, I didn't even realize at the time what uh, entrepreneurial skill set I had until someone else pointed it out to me. Because even at the strip club, I had made business cards. This is a funny story. I'd made business cards with my stage name and a private email so that my customers who had access to that email had access to a private calendar that wasn't publicized. It was just like a little private website. And the calendar stated what days and times I was at the club so that they would come in and request me. First of all, what stripper does that? Okay, no one, no one. But somehow that's just how my brain worked. I was like, well, if they know what times I'm here, what days they can expect me, they're more likely to come in and pay and pay to be here with me. So someone, one of my customers actually pointed out, they're like, you should be running your own business. I, I, I've never had any, any girls here do this, you know, and this is really smart because we'd probably see them more often if we knew when they were here. And I was like, aha. And so I had this goal that I was going to make X amount of dollars or three months would go by and then I'd get out because being homeless, I knew that money could also be an addiction not just drugs, not just alcohol. So I made it a point to come back to Palm Coast at the end of those three, three months. And that's when everything shifted. 
literally was that experience. And I'm like, I'm going to work for myself. I had already been belly dancing for a while. Ever since that I took classes with that member, I had already been belly dancing on the side. Um, you know, I had a network in the tri-county area and I'm like, I'm going to promote the belly dancing. And that's what I'm going to do until I find the career that I need to be stable. So I started promoting the belly dancing. I started um, working my first restaurant gig um, not too far from here. And I started thinking about, you know, what I had mentioned earlier in, in our conversation. I had a friend who was like, did you ever think about talking about sex health? And that was also when I started doing direct sales. So all this happened around the same time. I was like, I'm going to belly dance. I'm going to make a schedule, my own schedule. I'm going to work for myself. This is how I'm going to do it. Um, And then I'm going to supplement my income and I'm going to get into direct sales and I'm going to sell intimacy products because that's going to be the foot in the door that I need to educate on sexual health. And so my weekends were dedicated to belly dancing. The rest of the week was dedicated to networking and promoting my direct sales business. And that kept me going for pretty much a decade after that. So I'm going to say that part of your story is so interesting to me because within that story, you found an opportunity. And oftentimes we do not think outside the box, but it's so important as entrepreneurs to really think outside the box and look at those opportunities that we may miss and take advantage of those opportunities. And I know that you mentioned fear and fear is something that an emotion that sometimes we shy away from, but fear can be a driving force. Yes, there are times when we feel fear where we really shouldn't be taking that step because it can be dangerous, but oftentimes we can leverage that fear uh, to take the step that we need. For me, for example, fear is simply energy, and we really have to analyze the fear that we're experiencing because oftentimes that fear comes from mindset. It comes from a limiting belief, an assumption, an inner voice that tells us we're not good enough. So for you and and, and listening to you, it's really those two things is, is taking an opportunity when the opportunity presented itself and then listening to your fear and saying, I, I need to act on it. I need to move forward in order to be able to avoid what I was going through. Uh, so for me, again, it's just a, a very interesting side to that story and the ability for you to shift your, your life because of it. Yeah, it was it was not all rainbows and cupcakes those ten years that I was. I can imagine, <laughs> and it probably will not be the next ten years. No, <laughs> and I think I work way I work many more hours now than I did back then. But I feel like that's but that's part of it. But it's like I'm happy to do it. While at my job, I wasn't happy to put in that work. You know, there's like it, it is all about mindset and how you how you look at the situation you're in. Absolutely. I agree with you. It is about mindset. And 
in hearing you, you, you have so much passion in what you do and that sex health education component and wanting to help others overcome those struggles and find those resources that you couldn't find. But I'm, I'm also hearing that, that happiness, you, you sound so happy in what you are doing today and helping others, uh, find those resources. So much happier. I mean, yes, I, I lived simply and humbly and it wasn't, you know, it was nice having the two bedroom and the money and all that, but I wasn't happy. And this allowed me to be happy. And I, you know, to this day, I still tell people all the time to choose happiness over money because at the end of the day, it's, it's that attitude and that happiness that's going to bring in the wealth later on, you know, but we all have to put the work into it. You know, I've also had people say, Oh, it must be nice. No, 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 no. It's not that I just chose one day that I was going to work for myself. And the next day I was rich. That's just not realistic. But mentally I was just so much happier doing what you know what I was passionate about um those experiences that I had when I was homeless you know being going through trauma I wanted to make sure I was educating other people and making sure people have the resources that they need that I did not have and that makes me happy anytime someone says like wow you know Erica you you gave me the avenue that I needed to get out of the situation. That's what I live for more than the money. You know, are you kidding me? (laughs) So that's what inspires me about your story. And the reason why I wanted you to be part of this episode, because it is about your ability to come from your past and the experiences you had as a homeless teen and be able to find an avenue and your passion that includes helping others overcome those challenges that you yourself faced and building not only a career out of it, but a uh, business. And I know that from our conversations in the past, I know that you are starting a nonprofit. So if you could uh, talk a little bit about what it is that you're doing now and how our listeners can help. So now that I am certified through DCF um, as a victim's advocate, I am working on a nonprofit uh, called the National Care Foundation. CARE stands for the Center for Advocacy, Resources, and Equity. And there's many components to that because over the last, uh, I'd say, year or two, I've also been very involved with other local nonprofits. You know, if I couldn't provide a particular service, I would do my best to fundraise for any nonprofit in the area that had a service that I could relate to. So, you know, for example, in April, I had a Dollars for Denim campaign where we raised funds for Peace Over Violence, which is a 501c3 dedicated to sexual assault uh, prevention education. So I've been doing that for quite some time. And I'm like, you know, we, we just talked about like as entrepreneurs, like we work really hard. And as much as I say the happiness is more important, the mental wealth is more important than the money itself, I still need financial resources in order to help the community, in order to help these survivors that I'm connecting with. Because if I don't have, you know, if I don't have the financial means to survive, how am I going to help someone else? So 
I started raising money for all these nonprofits and I thought, you know, maybe I need to start my own, you know, start my own. Um, equity is, is part of it. Resources. I talk about resources all the time. I work with the LGBT community, you know, now it gets into like the nitty gritty. It's not just any general survivor. Like I work with domestic violence survivors, sexual assault survivors, the LGBTQ community. I have an outreach um, event for them every month. You know, I've spoken about women's rights and reproductive rights. I mean, this is all under the umbrella of sexual health, you know, just like our physical and like we're talking about today, our mental health is important. So is our sexual health because all three are, are connected. So best way is, um, well, I have my website, which is the com. The nonprofit website is currently under construction. But for now, the com. I'm also on Facebook at the Erica Rivera. And I also have a Patreon. So that's patreon.com slash the Erica Rivera. So pretty much any any outlet, uh, look up the Erica Rivera and it'll I'll pop up. So it's the same name all across all platforms. I do have a Facebook page for the National Care Foundation, but like I said, the um, the website itself is under construction. So I want to thank you again for coming and talking to us and sharing your story. And I hope that our listeners learned, I know they've learned from your uh, experiences and what you have to really offer. Any last comments or anything you want to say? Hmm. Well, it is Domestic Violence Awareness Month. So I just like to put that out there. A lot of people don't know that October is DV Awareness Month. So definitely be there for someone. If someone confides in you that they're going through a situation, um, my thing is, is always make sure that they have a safety plan. And if they need help coming up with a safety plan, definitely contact me and I can help out with that. So in addition to contacting you, I do want to add the domestic violence phone number for anyone who is experiencing domestic violence. The number is 1-800-799-7233. In this episode, we've talked about some uh, issues with regards to sexual assault, as well as homelessness. In the States, we have the 211 number. If you are homeless and you need resources, please contact 211 and they may be able to help you with some resources. And for sexual assault, the number is 1-800-656-4653. And again, thank you for joining us and taking the time off your busy schedule to join us and really share your story with our listeners. I also want to thank our listeners for tuning in. I know how uh, busy we all can get and you uh, being part of this podcast really means a great deal to me. For the first time listeners, we air on the second and fourth Friday of every month. So our next episode is October 28th. I am also very involved in social media, so you can definitely follow me at MD Consulting Company, Facebook, Instagram, and LinkedIn. My website, if you want to check us out, is www.mdconsultingcompany.com. I am Dr. Maria from Mind Over Your Biz Podcast, and again, thank you for joining us and hope to see you soon. Have a great day.